Would I rather socialism or, or kind of climate apocalypse? I think yes. obviously socialism because, um, I mean... <laughs> You realise that's the there's bit no, I'm snipping out. There's no, at the start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've sunk my, sunk my career now. To Sustainababble 157. Welcome yourself all to Sustainababble. We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, didn't we? Yes. All about people and the planet. And why, despite everything being nosed, we can have a little chuckle about it every now and then, didn't we? Yes. And, oh, Still yes. what do people always accuse us of? Oh, gosh, lots of things. Yes. Um... Uh, 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 an, an eye for detail. Um, uh, <laughs> Legendary poise and sophistication. <laughs> forensic search for the truth. Yeah. Uh, I think they accuse us of a sort of lefty bias, yes. that sort of thing. They Is do, that what you're getting at? They do that. They accuse us of just talking to our echo chamber, to which I respond, yeah, that's, that's podcasting. That's what podcasting <laughs> is. But two white men indulge their desire to talk about themselves to each other. Yeah, but we have talked before to someone who doesn't necessarily think what we think. Back in episode 98, we talked to that David Home from Shell. Had him the in man here. from Shell. And we had him in here and we give him a good hearing and we're going to have someone else on who doesn't necessarily agree with us today, aren't we all? Mm, it's terribly um, edgy for us to be doing this. Yes, look, we are talking to a... Tory! An actual conservative. Actual conservative. Come in here, which, <laughs> if you knew where here was, is no, no small thing to do. I'm surprised they let him in. Uh, we decided to speak to Sam Hall. Now, Sam is the director of something called the Conservative Environment Network. And one of the questions I meant to ask but didn't was big network then is it mm. uh, which is a silly question but the point is there are a group of green Tory, Tories turquoise Tories they used to be called why because uh, green and blue is sort of turquoisey I think uh, uh, um, and yeah people who care about the environment but are in the wrong party <laughs> now, oh, we're Sorry. going to give Sam a fair hearing, yes? Yes. Well, we did give Sam a fair hearing. So we actually recorded this 10 days ago. Uh, so, and in the middle of an election campaign, so Christ alone knows what has happened between us recording this interview with Sam about the Tories and whatever the hell Tories it is you're thinking of when you're <laughs> listening to this, right? But let's assume it's roughly the same. And we asked him about, like, why is he a Tory? Do all Tories hate the planet? And what happens <laughs> if the only way we can save the planet is actually socialism? What do we do then? I mean, I do have a lot of respect for Sam <laughs> saying, yes, I'm prepared to come on this interview, which he agreed to do before the election was called, still coming on uh, after the election was called, and still doing the interview when we started to ask asking questions like that. But listen, so, uh, but, but kudos listen, to Sam. Thank we, gave, you. we give him a fair hearing, so if you get irate at us for letting him say his thing, that's only because in all, literally every other episode of Sustainable, we've banged on about all the stuff we think. So we yeah. decided to have someone in to just give the opposite opinion. Yeah, right? exactly. Which may not actually, I'll, spoiler alert, be all that different at all. Ooh. 
Uh, just before any of that, just the usual disclaimer. We do work for environmental charities. Indeed, all three of us do, don't we all? Yes. So if anything that you hear makes you want to complain to me or Roll, or indeed Sam, uh, don't just fire off an email to the people who we work for, but mark it down on oh, mark a, it. Yeah, mark yeah, on a piece of nice. on a piece of paper and then let me and all know about it ourselves. Yes? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I haven't prepared a conservative... Uh, not going to finish this with that one. You are. <laughs> Hello, all, and Dave. Thank you very much, Sam. Very good. We've had to re-record that so that you remember to say hello to me this time, which is nice. That's very good. So precious. <laughs> so precious. Hello, Sam. Thank you very, very much for coming to talk to us. And thank you for being, uh, as far as I know, our first actual Tory. Our first, certainly somebody who works, you know, for Tories in the Tory sphere. Uh, and it's only taken us 157 episodes to get round to talking to one. So um, thanks <laughs> thanks for My that. My pleasure to be your token Tory. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is going to sound like a very trite, infantile, simplistic question. Get used um, to it. Get, get used to it. There'll be plenty of those. Uh, what, why? Why are you a Tory? What, what made you decide... Toryism was for you. So I'd say that um, firstly, like talking about my upbringing. So my parents were, or oh, still are, um, farmers in North Yorkshire, a very Tory area. They voted Tory their lives. They're small business owners. So come from a, a sort of Tory family, which I think definitely is a big part of it. Um, at university, although I wasn't particularly um, political or party political, I did take quite a Tory position on the tuition fees question. Um, so I, I thought that it was right that people contributed more to their tuition oh, fees. Um, I just uh, uh, who's who's with me? Right, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it didn't uh, didn't didn't do my street credit university much much good, um, <laughs> but it did help to uh, give me confidence that the, the conservatism was generally the ideology for me. Um, and I think now, you know, I, particularly thinking about some of the environmental issues I work on, I do think that markets generally work best in terms of generating wealth, encouraging competition, um, keeping costs down for consumers. I think if they're well regulated, they can be just and they can be sustainable. And if you price in those externalities, um, I think markets can work really efficiently. And then there's the sort of slightly more abstract bit of conservatism where I think that, you know, we do actually instinctively all have this desire to belong to something like a family or a nation or uh, a kind of wider culture, which... Uh, increasingly, I sort of feel quite strongly. Remember, we're all in the same boat. Well, I'm not. I've got a job, but you're all in the same boat, and as such, I want for you. So, what are the what are the caricatures of Toryism that you that you don't recognise? What's what are the, when when people go, "No, you're bloody Tory." I suppose that means X. What's X? Um. <sighs> So, I mean, well, firstly, on the environment, um, you know, I, I think we'll probably come on to this in more detail later. But I think this assumption that the environment is an issue that's aimed by the left, that the that conservatives are only interested in, um, you know, fossil fuel industries, I think is unfair. And actually, I think if you look at some of the uh, statements by conservative politicians throughout the generation, starting with Margaret Thatcher, uh, who around this time uh, made the speech 30 years ago to the UN General Assembly, was the first major global leader to call for action on climate change. As we travel through space, as we pass one dead planet after another, we look back on our Earth, a speck of life in an infinite void. It is life itself, incomparably precious, that distinguishes us from the other planets. 
Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's absolutely no evidence that Conservatives uh, have, have sort of historically not cared about that issue. Um, you know, I think the arguments around poverty uh, and, 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 and sort of cruelty to people who are poor, I think that is a very unfair characterisation. I think, you know, it's a, there's a difference between the, the right and the left about the means for tackling those problems, but I think it's wrong to characterise Conservatives as not caring. Um, it's simply they believe the solutions is more about in more kind of growing the economy, um, freeing people from dependency on welfare, those types of arguments, um, whereas the left obviously has a different different approach. But fundamentally, we all kind of share the same outlook. you got a particular Tory hero. There's someone you've got a poster of. Uh, I don't have a poster on my wall of, of a Tory, no. But um, So I'd say that the person that got me uh, interested in, in the Conservative Party that made me join when I was just left university was David Cameron. Uh, oh, as I Moses. say, he was oh, no, I, I a popular, him. popular I choice. Him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, him. Didn't, didn't do much, did he? No. Didn't know for many things. Um, but, you know, I think he, as someone who was socially liberal, um, I think, you know, he, he gave me confidence that you could be a believer in equal marriage and uh, in international development spending and all of those other things. Um, I was also, you know, being a sort of someone who believes markets work. Um, and I think he, he united those things really well. And so he was he was a big, uh, a big figure of mine. More recently, uh, I'd say Michael Gove has been, you know, gen- I know I used to work for, for him. Former boss, so, Michael uh, Gove, is that? <laughs> what's he like, what's he like as a boss? Uh, he was great. He was a great, great boss. Um, really, really passionate about the environment. Um, really got into the subject. Had clearly read loads. Really engaged in the detail of the policy. Uh, he is able to kind of have a vision for what he wants to do, and he's got a really good grasp of how you affect change through government, how you kind of make a department work, and how you get stuff through Parliament, and how you land your messages. Um, and as someone who's kind of worked in Green Conservatism for a few years, it's just been it was just really inspiring to see someone make the arguments that you've been making for a long time. Is it true that he's very well? Um looked after in the trouser department. <laughs> uh, I cannot uh, I cannot say that I can uh, verify or deny that. Uh, there were cubicles in the DEFRA toilet, so uh, sadly no, no opportunities there. Um... Oh, you are awful, but I like you. <laughs> So look, we uh, we joked at the beginning about it taking us a while to get a Tory on. Although mm. I think I think Martin Williams voted Tory once. In fact, I'm sure he did. He was one of our very early guests. But um, more, I guess, more to the point, we are not alone in being quite critical of the Tories. Not just like as a tribe, but like what each successive Tory government um, has done since 2010 um, or are not done, and, and you know, basically it's a kind of unwritten rule of greenies is that the Tories have gnaws things up and, and uh, you know, not taking things forward is anything like as fast as they should. Are we, and I think I know what you're going to say here, are we wrong? <laughs> well, yes. I mean, obviously I would say that you're wrong. Uh, otherwise <laughs> I wouldn't be, wouldn't be a Tory uh, environmentalist. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I think... I wouldn't disagree that there have been some things uh, which the government was a mistake the government made, backing fracking, banning onshore winds, scaling back energy efficiency spending. You know, I think those were mistakes and I think we're gradually now starting to see some of those be unwound. 
Um, but I think if you look at the overall uh, record, I think actually it is pretty good. So the fastest G, uh, decarbonisation rate in the G20, nearly phasing out coal entirely from the electricity grid, having been over a third when the Conservatives took office, massively expanding renewable energy, particularly backing offshore wind. Um, you know, I think there are a number of really strong achievements on the climate side. And then if you look at what they've done on, on the sort of DEFRA side and in terms of the natural environment, uh, you know, the, the policy as we've come out of the EU to, to basically end farm subsidies and instead use the funding to encourage farmers to improve the environment on their land. I think that is, you know, genuinely a, a huge, huge win for nature. Um, and I think, and I don't think other parties were, were making that case um, before the Conservatives. Um, the Environment Bill, which has just been introduced with legally binding targets to recover nature again, I think that's another huge, a huge area of Conservative leadership. So I think, you know, <clears throat> whilst there are obviously policy setbacks, I think the overall picture is pretty good, actually. Um, and what is change because i think you look at you know extinction rebellion and you look at a lot of the kind of movements and pressure and sometimes people say the government are only doing stuff because they're being made to but do you think there is actually more of a confidence in being someone like michael gove who you know we've had him on this podcast not on the podcast but we've had we've had him (laughs) we've had a go at him a few times but also you know we did give him credit as well back in episode 86 i gave uh, michael gove credit 85 sorry um microbees no No. we just we just he'd just been appointed environment secretary and and everyone was going oh that's right oh it's terrible it's awful it's a derogation of duty and we said something like well don't slag him off till he's had a go at it you slag him off then you Mm. know um and actually he's done some you know did some all right things bad things so what is there a confidence about green Toryism now? Is it all right to be a green Tory? Definitely, yeah. So <clears throat> I think if I could pinpoint a few things which I think have, have sort of helped to ch- really change the mood. Um, so I think on the climate side, I think it was the kind of Claire Perry and narrative around clean growth, which I think so, really... Yeah, Claire Perry being... So she was the energy and climate change minister um, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and she sort of coined this uh, framing of clean growth. And she sort of cited the statistic that the UK has had in the G7, the, the fastest per capita GDP growth and also um, quickest decarbonisation rate. And sort of trumpeting that success that you can have, uh, you can decouple essentially emissions reduction and economic growth and I think that that obviously narrative plays really well with conservatives because it reassures them that you don't need to sacrifice the economy whilst uh, going green um, so I think I think that was a kind of key moment I think on the uh, on the other other things that were important with the changing public mood so you know whilst uh, I think you can highlight things like the 2017 general election where actually environmental issues were quite important so the ivory ban was one thing that came up a lot on social media that was so weird I've forgotten about that but that wasn't that like the most shared picture yeah of, like of the entire election it went it went viral yeah it was um it, what was it <laughs> there was an there was an article i don't know if there's a picture but there's definitely like an article which basically said the conservatives had dropped the ivory ban out of the their manifesto that's right um that's right let's go back and listen to episode 82 old we talked about that and it had like a pit somebody had put a composite of like like a kill a stricken elephant and like Theresa May next to it. It's like, like laughing over the yeah, yeah, still twitching corpse of an <laughs> elephant. But it's like, you know, it's that kind of crude. But it, it tied into this idea among young people, particularly that yeah. like the Tories were out to get the environment. And that was that was shared more than anything else. And this is yeah. in the context of like dementia tax, uh obviously Brexit, obviously Theresa May running a 
absolutely <laughs> cataclysmically bad campaign in, in, in my view. So, particularly sorry for those colleagues who were MPs and ministers who'd contributed so much to our country and who lost their seats and didn't deserve to lose their seats. And as I reflect on the results, I will reflect on uh, what we need to do in the future to uh, take the party forward. Yeah, no, I think I think I think that's spot on. Yeah, so there was that, and then after the election, I think a real moment of reflection that actually the Conservatives did really badly with younger voters. It wasn't until you hit the age of forty-seven that you became more likely to vote Conservative rather than Labour. Oh, there you go, um, Dave. Yeah, not far off. Yeah. And uh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think at that. People kind of really reflected on that and, you know, lots of polling evidence came out showing that environment was a really good way of appealing to those younger voters that they needed to do better with. So I think that political argument really, really resonated, as did kind of wider kind of awakening of public consciousness through programmes like Blue Planet that David Attenborough hosted and uh, more recently some of the stuff around, you know, the climate protests and the big reports by the IPCC and, and others that I think have really kind of cemented climate change awareness and concern in the public consciousness. There was a thing in The Guardian in October that was tallying up how likely an MP is to vote for particular measures. And according to the headline in The Guardian, which, you know, has an opinion on politics, uh, but they say Tories, it says here, five times more likely to vote against climate action. So it seems there's a higher likelihood that if you're a Conservative, you're going to vote against things like climate change or stuff like that. Why is that? So I think that Guardian piece is really unhelpful and misleading. Um, so without getting into too much <laughs> of that... It's probably quite unhelpful for well, <laughs> <three> Conservatives, isn't <laughs> it? Well, I'm, I'm not interested in kind of feathering the nest of Conservatives, but I, I think it's unhelpful from the perspective of encouraging Conservatives to do the right thing. So right, there's a whole okay. bunch of... it. So take one MP who was named by the committed to the, the Climate Change Coalition as the greenest MP, uh, Rebecca Pau. She scores zero on that Guardian, uh, the Guardian ranking. Um, because she she voted uh, the wrong way according to all the, the votes that they picked on, um, even though the, this this umbrella body for all NGOs on climate change uh, have said that she was the greenest MP. So that's a sort of example as to how I think it, it doesn't give the full picture of what an MP does. So, you know, without going into too much detail about parliamentary procedure, there's yeah, only... you'll be you'll be out of here before you know. I know this is this <laughs> going to get cut. But the... I'm hovering over the klaxon. <laughs> but there is only only votes when there is a disagreement. Um, and uh, so the government could bring forward lots of policy which has cross-party support on things like the net zero target, for instance, and it just gets nodded through because there's not a division. So you can set a world-leading net zero target and you don't get any credit for it in that, in that voting score. Instead, the only things you do get judged on are op opposition amendments, which governments will always whip to vote down. So a lot of those scores, for instance, um, were done on votes to the budget. Now... Now, government uh, government will never support an opposition amendment to a budget. That's just a, a kind of a, a really common thing. And right, the opposition so, is clearly looking to embarrass the government by laying those amendments. Right. So specifically, like uh, someone Philip Hammond or someone does the budget. Who's it now? Sajid Javi does the yeah. budget. Uh, John McDonald stands up and says, "I propose an amendment which is that everyone should get a free solar panel tomorrow." Right. Yeah. Uh, and then if Tory MPs vote against that, 
the Guardian go, oh, see, don't support climate action. Mm. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Right. And, it, you know, and the, the other, the broader point, I think, is that it doesn't, you know, when you're in government, a lot of what MPs do to try and influence climate policy is not voting against the government in the House of Commons. It's writing to let, letters to ministers. It's um, speaking to them in the voting lobbies about an issue that the constituents raised. It's much more kind of, you know, friendly because ultimately you're in the same party as these people. And so the, the methods of campaigning are very different. Permission to sing boisterously, sir. If you must. <laughs> row, row, row your punt gently down the stream. Belts off, trousers down, is a life a scream. <laughs> ah, you're one of the good guys, though. Mm. It's, like, it's your job, senior, literally your job, <laughs> to be a green conservative and to champion green conservatism and to sit here and say, it's all right, don't worry about it. Tories aren't going to nose the planet up, right? But you don't half get some people in the Tory party who don't think like that. And I, I would wager more than in other parties. That's a proposition. Where do you think, uh, where do you think that, when, when there's a particularly hostile environmental position i'm thinking of like the five mps who voted against the climate change act or you know there are still tory mps is peter lilly still an mp there are still tory mps who think climate change is a red uh, hoax cooked up with a red menace and all that sort of stuff where does that come from do you have any sympathy with like do you, do you, can you explain why proper arch conservatives or maybe even you know not even necessarily just in this country but sort of right wing why there is sometimes this really reactionary thing against the environment so my understanding of where that comes from is that it's to do with the suspicion, I think, that a lot of these MPs have that environmentalism is a sort of Trojan horse for socialism. It is. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, actually, when you, when you look at something like the Green New Deal stuff, it's sort of kind of have a point there. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of it is people disagreeing with the means and therefore denying the ends. Um, and I think... I think some of those MPs, you know, because they believe in markets, they dislike regulation, they don't like taxes, and they don't want to see an expansion in the state, that they therefore resist environmentalism um, because they, they think that how you achieve it is through these these means that they don't like. Um, and I, that, to me, I think is where is where it comes from. But, you know, I would say that I think those people are ever, ever fewer. Um, and, you know, Peter Lilly, who you mentioned there, has actually left Parliament, right. has, well, has left the Commons now. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I think the war is, is, is sort of pretty comprehensively won now within the Conservative Party that, you know, the government, the mainstream of MPs, the overwhelming mainstream of MPs is, is firmly in favour of climate action. Um, you know, to give you an example, we hosted an event at Conservative Party conference um, and there were a few sceptic questions that we had to one of our panel and, you know, an, MP, an MP sort of who's not, you know, who's not necessarily one of the most high profile Green Conservatives stood up and, and slapped down the person who, who raised the climate sceptic points um, and forcefully pushed back. And I think, you know, there is that confidence now, I think, with among Conservative MPs and the mainstream of Conservative MPs to, to challenge climate scepticism. Cause Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's pretty me- great. Not messing about. Like people, you know, you first first thing you mentioned when you come in here was, you know, Margaret Thatcher was green. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that banded about. Right? And is that actually a thing? Do you how many times do you get that out and go, it's all right, whoa, whoa, it's all right, calm down. Maggie was green. It is it's, she was. It's pretty good, yeah. The, I mean the other great thing about that is it really winds up the climate skeptics, uh, <laughs> who often obviously also often like very uh 
kind of vigorous Thatcherites, um, and they always then get out a quote from one of her later books about how she sort of repudiated climate, um, sort of her belief in climate change. A few decades. Somebody uh, cited Margaret Thatcher earlier on. Lady, I'm always happy to, uh, 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 to, to call myself a fan of. She actually repudiated much of what she'd said earlier on in her book Statecraft in a chapter called Hot Air and Global Warming when she pointed out that people were getting quite hysterical about this. I think she was absolutely right then. And I urge um, the lady... But, you know, what, what I say back to that is... <laughs> at, at, at the height of her electoral powers, when she just won three massive majorities um, and was, you know, been governing for ten years, that was the point where she was uh, leading on climate change, and that is the sort of time to be judging her and her electoral success. Today, Mr. Speaker, this House must declare an environment and climate emergency. We have no time to waste. We are living so other parties also care about the planet um, and have said stuff about them. The Greens and Labour, and I'm not sure about the Lib Dems, have said that they want like 2030 to be the date where net zero is reached. Seems, That's soon, isn't seems it? a bit soon. That's soon. <laughs> um, right, what's, the, what's the Tory view of that? Because the Tories have said 2050, so, you know, 20 years difference. I mean, unsurprisingly, I'm not a huge fan of that. Um, but so, why? I mean, it's fix, fix the planet 20 years sooner than otherwise we might. I mean, I share the desire to fix it as urgently as we can, but I also think that setting a target that is too soon will involve will basically alienate people along the journey. I think you've got to bring people with you with net zero. You've got to give people time to replace their cars, replace their gas boilers. You've got to um, give time for technologies to develop, like hydrogen and carbon capture and storage. And if you try and do it, incredibly quickly in the next 10 years you won't those technologies won't be ready you'll have to be scrapping a whole load of existing infrastructure that hasn't been fully paid off that uh, you know before this natural life is over um, and I think it's really it's going to be really expensive really disruptive and I think you you genuinely jeopardize public consent um, for the transition and I think you know looking I think ultimately we should follow when we when we passed the climate change act um on a cross party basis which is a great piece of legislation there was a decision made to take advice on these sorts of things from an independent committee committee on climate change and that reported back a few months ago basically saying that they did not have any evidence that it would be feasible to do earlier than 2050. So even though it would be desirable to do it, and I think it probably would be um, in, a, in an ideal world, there is ultimately not enough evidence yet to put in law a target that isn't, uh, that is earlier than 2050. And I think we should, you know, follow the original idea behind the Climate Change Act and, and stick with the advice of our impartial experts. But is the bit of you that is green first, conservative second... I'm going to just assume that's the order. Sure. I might ask you about that, <laughs> you about that in a bit. The bit of you that like really wants stuff to happen fast, is it helpful to have Labour and the Greens and other parties saying we should do it a lot more urgent? Does no, that make your rebellion life? and yeah, school yeah, yeah, yeah. strikes? And... Or is it unhelpful because it think... makes people go, this can't be done? I don't think it is because I think it means that we have people on our side who would otherwise be generally supportive of climate action have to stand up and say things that sound a little bit like what climate sceptics have been saying in terms of talking about cost and disruption and all the rest of it. And I think actually it's it, 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 it's unhelpful. It puts us on the side of uh, the sceptics um, and... 
I think it, it generally risks the kind of climate consensus, which has been so kind of carefully constructed and maintained over the last few years, um, which is why, again, I sort of come back to the point of like we have this independent committee to try and depoliticise some of these issues. And it feels a shame that we've sort of moved away from that and basically picked a delay, the date for political reasons, it seems to me. Um, I mean, the other the other thing that I think is a shame is that we have, you know, we've had this debate about net zero for ages and getting that 2050 target in law. And in the meantime, we've not done enough in terms of the short term no, policies yeah. to decarbonise. And having another debate about the target and fixating on the target means that it's more time not doing the policies that we actually need to get started and delivering this immediately. <laughs> So we on this podcast, we've had a few episodes where we've gone all a bit wobbly. And, you know, some, sometimes you just can't help but read some of the stuff that's happening and go, oh, yeah. uh, and you yeah. sort of switch out of that mode of, oh, you know, we need more onshore wind and, you know, more energy efficiency. And, and you go into that kind of, I, I just need to hug my closest family members and I hope for the best type, type thing. Because it is, you know, it's overwhelming, right? But... My sense as someone on the outside is that you get less of that reaction within the Tory party and within the, you know, the Tory sort of tribe. Like, there's just less freaking out. And I think I would, in a way, I'd be more reassured if I saw, you know, just occasionally, like, Michael Gove or someone going, oh, shit, shit, this is... Oh, God. And, and actually, of anyone... Sure, sure. Have you seen <laughs> this? Have you, read these, have you read these words in this order? I mean, he, of, of anyone, has actually said probably the most kind of this is really, really serious stuff, particularly about soils and, and, and all the rest of it than anyone. But but broadly, mm. the, my perception is that it's a very sort of sensible... Look, there's a, there's a kind of market failure here, we'll correct it, and, you know, then job done, we'll move on to... You know, shooting or whatever it is that the Tories like. Uh, so, is that is that true? And if so, why is it true? Um, so, I think I'm glad that you mentioned Michael Gove, and I'm wary that I'm sounding like a real fanboy here. But you, I would. Do you still have to get a reference out of here? <laughs> but I think you know, generally, he's a good riposter. Quite a few questions. Um, but I, you know, read his last speech that he did at Defra um, called "There's um, There's." Uh, there's less time than you think. We've seen a catastrophic loss of biodiversity across the globe as a result of man's actions. And just as nature is in retreat, so global warming is accelerating. Um, and that really, I think, to me, like reading the start of that, you will get that sense of kind of fear and urgency in the sense that we don't have long left, particularly on biodiversity to kind of stem the the loss of nature. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's, he's talked about the soil stat as well, about how many harvests we've got left in the soil. Um, but I think your broader point, though, about um, do conservatives really freak out? I think I say it's probably not a very conservative emotion to freak out. I think it's uh... <laughs> only about Europe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, no, no not a freaking out about Europe going on. <laughs> um, but you know, I think there is. I think it generally the the general mode of conservatives is to be a bit more pragmatic, a bit more solutions oriented. Um, to kind of see problems as uh, in a practical way, uh, rather than to to kind of despair at how hopeless it is. I, you know, even speaking personally, I, I even speaking personally, I kind of although obviously I've read lots of the science and uh, read lots about climate change and biodiversity loss, and it it scares you to think about it when you do think about it. But just you just can't 
you can't constantly think about it. Um, you've got to no, sort of no, stop no. thinking about it and then try and you know focus on what you can do. Um, and realistically, I do think there is still there is still some time. There is still stuff that we can do. Um, and I think in just in terms of kind of self motivation, I think it is really important that you don't uh, completely lose track of the fact that this is it's still worth acting. It's still worth doing things. Just not by twenty thirty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we can if we can do things that quickly, then great. But uh, <laughs> I think it's unlikely. He contrasts my policies would eradicate poor people, thereby eliminating poverty. <laughs> and they say that we conservatives have no heart. <laughs> Here's a thing that I want your honest answer to i don't want your i'm standing up for green tories answer i want your honest answer to this right what if we can't save the planet through market measures what if we can't and what if we can't save it without socialism (laughs) what if that were the case what's more important so i I will answer your question but i'm just gonna i'll say before i do that I don't think that markets, pure markets alone, can solve the problem, and I don't think very many people would say that. I think there's a, you know, there's a definitely a case for regulation. There's definitely a case for government creating frameworks that markets can then deliver. Well, and there's a hang on, government uh, creating uh, frameworks. And, and there's, there's a, a big klaxon. There's a klaxon. Is that, coming, is that jargon? Oh. Um, but I, you know, and I also think there's a case for public spending on things like public transport and cycling infrastructure and even energy efficiency, insulation, all of those things. I think, you know, I, I do think there's a big role for government in solving this, and I don't think we can do it without government. Um, would I rather socialism or or kind of climate apocalypse? I think yes. obviously socialism because um, I mean. <laughs> You realise that's the bit no, I'm snipping out there's and putting no, at the start. Yeah. Right? <laughs> You've sunk my, sunk my career now. Um, but, you know, obviously there's no planet to live on, right, to, to do market economics if, you, if, you've, if, you've got, if you've got complete climate chaos. So I think it sort of is a slightly uh, obvious answer. No, I mean, the reason I ask is because I, I am always kind of struck by the extent to which, as kind of as an article of faith... In exactly the same way that for left-leaning people, it's an article of faith that we need the state to save us. It's an article of faith for sort of green Tories that we can do this all by market measures. Just put a carbon tax on it. Just, you know, send the right price signals. Um, Adam, I'm wondering whether you think in your guts that's true. I do, I do think there are, as I say, I think there are definitely some areas where market frameworks lend themselves really well. So I think look at what's happened in the power sector where you've got a carbon price that has pushed coal off the grid and favoured gas and that's worked really well. Coal is nearly off the grid now and that is a market mechanism that's done that. Um, the mechanism by which we uh, pay for or give contracts out to build offshore wind farms that has more than half the cost of offshore wind because of the fierce competition between people bidding for those contracts and those auctions, um, you know, which has made the whole process of cutting emissions from electricity much cheaper than it would otherwise have been. Um, in waste, which is, again, another sector where we've done quite well in terms of cutting emissions, like the landfill tax, which is a, a price signal, uh, has, has been really effective. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think the evidence so far is market mechanisms have worked. I don't know whether they'll work in every sector. So, you know, I, I think it, they've not worked everywhere. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think you do need a mixture of, of some public spending, some regulation. But I think where possible, I think market mechanisms 
prove that you can do it in a more cost-effective way and you can harness you know useful forces like competition like desire to innovate and um, which i just don't think you get in a in a state-driven uh, approach So Sam, thank you very much for coming on here and putting up with us. Uh, <laughs> thank you for having I me. I bet you thought it's going to be really worse than it. that, didn't you? We've been, uh, if people want to find out more about you, about the Conservative Environment Network, how do they do that then? Uh, well, they can follow me on Twitter. Um, so Samuel Hall Zero uh, is my Twitter handle, uh, or they can follow Sen on Twitter, which is C E N underscore H Q. Oh nice. Uh, or I think their website is sen.uk.com. So, Dave, we've done it. We've done it. We've we spoken to someone who doesn't agree with us. He was all right, wasn't he, that's um, Sam? He was all right. And I'm not sure he doesn't doesn't agree with us, if you see what I mean. Uh, no, he was great. Like As I said at the beginning, thank you very, very much for coming and speaking to us because he knows what this podcast is like and he's, he's up for it anyway. Uh, I, I don't know. I think there's plenty to disagree with. May we? Uh, you won't be surprised to hear. I think there are some things that, like, sustainable listeners and lefty types kind of helpfully gloss over about some of the good stuff that's happened that is quite Tory-y. Like, you know, for for instance, all of these kind of competitions and auctions and all the rest of it that have made offshore wind very cheap very quickly, That that's quite a Tory-y thing to do. Yep. And lefty types don't really mention that. They just go, isn't it great that at least we've got loads of offshore wind? It's like, well, yeah, but it's happened in a very specific way. So, you know, things like that are actually quite interesting. I think he basically thinks the same thing that we do about the environment. He he likes the environment. He's always done environment stuff, right? What I think is he's not... It's the, we, we've had on probably one of the greenest Tories you could have on, and his job is being an ambassador for that idea, right? So obviously he's not going to come on here and talk about how what a Tory really wants to do is just set fire to fridges in their front garden, right? Uh, and I meant I meant to ask him, because his his job is basically PR for the Tories, in for the Green Tories in, in some sense, and I completely forgot to ask him, but there was, do we know when the first school strikes happened, and Andrea Leadsom and people were like, it's not striking, it's truancy. Well, that's still, some, that's still the line, you know, that's still what well, they say. from some of them, but you then had a whole bunch of the Green Tories kind of doing all these shonky videos on their phones going, look, if I was your age, I'd be out there too, like we care about the environment. And I'm pretty sure it was Sam who got that to happen. So that's basically his job, try to persuade people that the Tories aren't a bunch of people who just hate the environment and hate anyone who likes the environment and, and you know, care about this stuff too, but have different ideas of how to protect it. I mean, what, what I do think is that there is an awful lot of caricature in abounds in general on both sides. Uh, like people... I you know, have been surprised by a lot of people who I thought are good lefty comrades who turn out to not give a shit <laughs> about the environment, right? Really? It is, it is not a... Absolutely, it's not a given at all. 
at all. Maybe it's changing a bit now, right? What with, you know, this sort of resurgent idea of sort of the left and green stuff coming together. But generally, my experience of this, not a given at all mm. that if you're lefty, you will think the environment's worth saving. Absolutely not a given at all. And not a given at all, in my experience, that if you are a righty, you think that the best thing to do is set fire to fridges in your front garden. There are definitely, like, I, I think... You get get Sam, the butler to do it. Yeah, butler to do it. You want a thin ass with that one, Sam. What I think <laughs> Sam really did hit the nail on the head about is that, like, the issue is still seen as being stop picking your nose no, I'm not still... that, no I'm not picking my nose here I'm stroking the inside of my nostril <laughs> with my fingernail <laughs> I completely lost my thread yes what's up it is still like I've got a thread or two up here too often people propose ideas for how to fix it which clash with the way either lefty people or righty people think things should be fixed and too often that gets in the way of actually going is the thing we want to fix still the thing we want to fix? And I can't be doing with any of that sort of stuff no more. This is my position statement, right? I think it's all right to have different ideas about how to fix something as long as you accepted those ideas don't bloody work, which is what I was trying to get at with that last question there, really. So many people in greeny world and in lefty world are perfectly comfortable just assuming the motivations of anyone on the other side, saying that, you know, Tories don't care about this or only care about this. You can't possibly know. Like, none of us have the faintest idea what anyone else actually cares about unless they say, I don't care about the environment. It's, it's weird, isn't it, how we're all perfectly happy to just bandy about those things, whereas if someone said that to you conversationally, it'd be really... It would just be really annoying. Well, I wouldn't like it, but Tories are all bastards, though, right? No, absolutely, yeah. Right! That is just about it for another episode of The Babble. Thank you very, very much, Sam, for coming and chatting to us uh, and chatting to us all things Tory. Uh, and who knows what has happened Crikey. since that interview. Maybe uh, Tories are no longer a thing. <laughs> maybe. maybe maybe none of us are anymore a thing. <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah. No, thank you very much, Sam. Thank you, as always, to the legendary Dickie Moore for the music that starts, ends and intertwinkles this podcast, to the wonderful Arthur Stovall for the logo, What Adorns It and Adorns Our merchandise you can get t-shirts on the babble website at www.sustainababble.fish and to all of you who support the babble through patreon chucking in a couple of quid a month to make episodes possible and microphones work we are very very grateful you can join them at patreon.com slash sustainable very nice does this mean i get to do the uh, social media off, bit? off you go lovely you can get in touch with us you can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish hello <laughs> Hello. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Sustainable. Why is our web address dot fish anyway? Whose idea was that? That's your idea. I think I it might have been my idea. Yeah. It was when it was quite new to be able to have things that weren't right. .com or whatever, so we went for fish. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you can tweet us at the Babble Wagon. That's it. They're the three ways you can get in touch, aren't they? I don't you know. said, did you say the Facebook one? Yeah. Fine, then we're all good. Yeah. Uh, right, good. Jolly good. I shall be back next week. Will you? Who knows? Who bloody knows? <laughs> it's a long time in the future. Until then, I'll stiff up a lip, old boy. Mmm. Toodle-pip. Toodle-pip. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.